0: The Capital Weekly podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. <music>
1: Greetings, and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard, I'm the editor of Capital Weekly, and my extra special, special guest today is Timothy O'Brien. Timothy, thank you very much for joining us. John, it's great to be here,
0: thank you for having Uh,
1: me. Timothy has all kinds of background stuff, you can look him up on Wikipedia or something, I know I did, but uh, come on, three master's degrees from Columbia, Georgetown graduate, Worked on projects that won two Pulitzer prizes. Uh, Not that I'm jealous because I'm above all that, of course. But, uh, but what we want to talk you uh, to you today is about Bloomberg. Um, He spent a lot of dough. Last I heard, was uh, north of 400 million bucks. California, 33 or 35 million bucks. He's gone from zero to about 15 percent in the polls. I saw Paul Mitchell had a poll, political data poll. I think he was at 13 percent in our numbers. And we're out there crunching right now. but um, So he's doing very well.
0: Uh, Paul- Not just because he's spending money. He's a great candidate. We've got a big ground operation. We're in people's doors. Uh, he's got a great track record. We think he's got more governing experience than anybody he's competing against. The money helps, obviously. Mm-hmm. It gets Mike exposure. But we think the reason he's risen in the polls is because of his incredible bona fides. As, as someone who's been a self-made businessman, a globally influential philanthropist and yeah. a three-term mayor in New York.
1: Does um, the fact that he's spending so much money in a state like California, uh, it's got to make a difference. This is totally a media state. Absolutely. L.A., second largest media market. Campaigns have lived and died here on millions of dollars. One estimate, this is years ago, I remember one estimate. was $5 million a week for a buy five days a week. It wound up a million bucks a day. Uh, he obviously has the resources to spend more than that. Um, what's he getting what bang for his buck is he getting so far that you've seen in California?
0: Well, we're rising. We know we're rising very smartly in the, po- in the polls. Uh, we're, we're highly competitive in all 53 districts uh-huh. in California. We're watching that closely, and um, uh, we're heartened and optimistic about what all those numbers mean.
1: What do our, what do our numbers tell you as a, as a campaign? We've got, for example, our breakdown. Uh, whites are in the minority now. Uh, Latinos are in the minority, no, just barely and probably will be in the majority very shortly. Um, this really is a diverse, very, very diverse state. I, maybe like New York. I don't know what New York's diversity numbers are, but they're very similar that way. So how does this play out for for Bloomberg? Well, you know,
0: Mike ran three successful campaigns for mayor of New York by knitting together a broad, pluralistic coalition of voters. Yeah, And that's what we're doing in this campaign. There's not a community of voters we don't want to talk to and listen to, Uh and listen intently to to figure out how we can be better and how we can meet their needs. We're doing that up and down the map in California. We've got 20 field offices here, 400 people. We're making 150,000 calls a day. Um, 400 people? Yes, yeah, and nationally, we're 45 uh, states and territories right now. We've got 2,100 people nationally. Um, It's a juggernaut that we're aiming squarely at the White House and Donald Trump and we want to get there by effectively courting California voters and we think that means listening to them talking about Mike's record the totality of his record and and really focusing intently on the issues we think California voters care deeply about right now you know bread and butter issues that are animating i think the, the anxiety they feel about their standard of living and their place in the world and mm-hmm. the anxiety they feel about Donald Trump uh, access to high quality public health care, affordable housing, uh, high quality public education, the creation of jobs that are authentic avenues into the middle class, uh, gun violence, the climate crisis. There's nobody else running right now who has a history of already delivering on all of those things. Uh, You know, we respect all of the other candidates, but they're legislators. Mike has actually governed, and he's governed a big, complex city uh, with a lot of uh, complicated forces at work, and he's arguably the most successful mayor in in New York City history.
1: Do you have a Do you have a special me- if, given our um, our racial makeup and our ethnicity in California? You have a special message for Latinos. Why should Latinos vote for Bloomberg, for example? Yeah. Why would the black community vote for him? Um, we have Asians and API Asian Pacific Islanders, and we have this is quite a potpourri out here. So, what special message can he? Does he give to minority members?
0: That that Mike embraces hope, opportunity, and and um, enfranchisement for every community in this color, reg- every community in this country, regardless of class, creed, or color. Uh, especially the black community, and the Latino community, and the Asian communities, because they are uh, important uh, stakeholders in our future, um, and and we have come. Through an era right now in which the most overtly bigoted and racist president of the modern era in the person Mm -hmm. of Donald Trump has undermined a lot of people's sense of security, well-being, and hope. Mm -hmm. And uh, Trump has spent three and a half years bullying those communities. And we are here to say that we're going to stop the bullying. And we're going to take this to the White House. And this will end.
1: He's gotten hit. A lot lately, over the last few days, especially in social media, on his record as mayor, stop and frisk, uh, there were r- reports about cases that were uh, sexual harassment cases that were closed and non-disclosed, the settlements were not disclosed. Yep. How's he responding to those? Stop and frisk, for example.
0: So let's take those separately. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, I think stop and frisk is a scar. On Mike's record. He's apologized for it. He will continue to apologize for it. It was a bad policy. It it ultimately traumatized uh, members of uh, New York's communities of color. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike stood by it for too long. Uh, And I think he's going to have to spend the rest of his public career reassuring voters of color that that one policy doesn't define who he was as a man or as mayor. Having said that, it hardly describes the totality of Mike's time as mayor. It's interesting to me that we're not talking about um, a reduction in in, uh, the incarceration rate of almost 40% while he was mayor. Mm -hmm. Far bigger than any other big city. Most cities it rose, and other cities in which it declined, it only declined by about 2%. Uh, Lower incarceration rates for juveniles. uh, Diversification of the New York City Police Department. uh, The most progressive immigration policy of any big city mayor, not just a path to citizenship, but a path to citizenship combined with a real integration of the fabric of life in New York by helping migrants uh, uh, find jobs, housing, education, and mentoring networks. Uh, Mike Bloomberg has always been a pluralist and um, holds the notion of tolerance dear to his heart. Uh, And I think it pains him that people think Uh, because of this one policy that he was a white racist mayor shoving white cops down the throats of black people. Mm -hmm. That's not who he is. Mm -hmm. You know, an anecdote he's told me many times when he was growing up in Medford. He grew up in very modest circumstances in Medford, Massachusetts. When his family moved into that community, uh, no one would sell homes to Jews. And they Mm -hmm. had to hire an attorney to buy the house for him. And his father was a very generous donor to the NAACP. And Mike said that one of his memories growing up as a kid was saying to his dad, we're white, why are we giving money to these black people? And his dad said to him, if any of us are targeted, all of us are targeted. And that has been an animating, ethical, and moral uh, force in Mike's life for decades. And uh, again, we should apologize for stop and frisk. But it's also, I think, been hung around his neck as defining who he is. And I think in the midst of all that, too, it's interesting to me that Bernie Sanders is not questioned about his support for the 1994 crime bill, or the fact that he voted against the Brady Bill several times, or that he voted to give gun manufacturers uh, immunity from liability cases. Uh, uh, I think governing places requires tough decisions, and he made a bad mistake in this one, but it's not who he is. On women, no, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no go ahead did. You I was question? gonna say, uh, uh, just jumping to something else. you think that um, by not
1: being in by not being in the Iowa caucuses, by not being in New Hampshire, but sort of avoiding the early states and then jump jumping in big on Super Tuesday, which is coming right up, uh, does he lose anything by not having any visible role, uh, boots on the ground in these early states? He's coming in late. He started late.
0: Um, yeah, that's all. That's a kind of. Uh, that framing has always been odd to me from the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, he did jump in late because, uh, you know, as the year wore on, he lost confidence that the field of Democrats could actually beat Donald Trump for a number of reasons. And his own polling suggested they couldn't. Mm-hmm. That's why he jumped in when he did. Uh, but there's only 4% of the delegates at stake in the first four states. Right. Uh-huh. Um, we are now, as I mentioned, in 45 plus states. When all of those contenders come out of those states, we will have been up and running for several weeks in every other state. So by our lates, they're the ones who are late to the game. Does he have any preference over caucuses versus primaries? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's got a preference to win and, and, and to, find, to be a problem solver and, and make sure that American voters are treated with respect.
1: I want to and, go to Nevada. I was thinking of going Saturday to Nevada and seeing the I've never been to a caucus. Watch, watch a caucus? And just watch a caucus. So I called over to the party, and the main... The main focus over there is in some casino down in Las Vegas, the Rio Casino. But I'm going to go to a high school in uh, Reno, North Valley's High School, I think it is, and in the the student union at Univers- University of Nevada at uh, Reno. Well, yeah, as
0: you know, there's some fear in Nevada right now that the caucus system there could face some of the problems, yeah. same problems as as Iowa. You know, what we've seen since Iowa is this enormous gravity moving towards us uh-huh. among uh, you know pragmatic progressives independents, moderates, who have had trouble identifying a candidate yeah. that they think can be Trump, and, and a lot of that glue now is coming to us, and, and I think it'll continue to come to us.
1: We were surveying
0: uh, people,
1: independents, who thought they didn't get their preference on the ballot because of some mistake that they had made. In fact, they had not requested it. And California's got a thing where if you're a no-party preference, it gets sent out, and then you request it, and you get the... You get the you get the candidates of your choice on your ballot. They didn't. So we surveyed people who didn't get the candidates of their oh. choice on the ballot, and 28% said they would have voted for Sanders. I don't have any raw numbers of this, but we'll. I'm keeping you on hook so you'll read our story when it comes. Excellent. So 28% said they were Sanders. 25% said Bloomberg. So here's a guy. I mean, I was thinking that is there any way of, of measuring how much impact – uh, his advertising efforts have had, and the money has had. Well, it's had a great deal, according to this, and according to non-party preference.
0: But orders. I also, I also would say it's not just the advertising. Uh, you know, Tom Steyer has spent a lot of money, no. advertising, and he's polling in the single digits. If you could buy an election, his numbers would be different. What we've bought is exposure, and we've attached that exposure to someone with a phenomenal track record, who's a a superb governor and a very purposeful strategist, and who's also not afraid to, to bounce Donald Trump around like a beach ball between now and November. Mm-hmm.
1: You've uh, got a reporter's background. I do. So Bloomberg, uh, the news organization, isn't supposed to do investigative stories on
0: Michael, who owns Bloomberg.
1: The, news the newsroom
0: made that decision. When Mike left to run for president, he told Bloomberg Opinion, which was a part of the news operation I worked for. Uh-huh, okay. I over- helped oversee the commentary uh, okay. section of, of Bloomberg, and then the Bloomberg Newsroom, he left it up to both Bloomberg Opinion and Bloomberg News to decide how they would cover this, and he put no restrictions on, on uh on how they should go about doing that. Okay. Uh, the newsroom reached its own decision about how to do that. And, and they also, still
1: do. On any stories involving Bloomberg, that would be their decision as a newsroom to make, yes. not anybody yep. else. Yeah. Yep. Okay.
0: And, you know, we've had we've have Bloomberg opinion columnists who have written critically about different aspects of this race. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, Mike has always funded a newsroom of 2,100 people out of his own pocket. It's not a profitable enterprise, as you know, in this day and age. Does he like nonprofits, little nonprofits,
1: like, uh, that was called a shameless drug. Never mind, don't do yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 um, yeah. You should plug, I'm happy. <laughs> I, yes, I'm here to absorb your plug. <laughs> um,
1: we chatted a little bit about the case. Um, you wrote the book, uh, Trump Nation. I did. Um, about the art of being Donald, about being the Donald. Yes. And... You estimated his wealth at between 150 250 million bucks at the time. That was far. That was 2005. That was far below. He was saying at the time he was worth six billion. Yeah, six billion dollars. He sued. You had a big fight. Uh, he lost. He lost the suit, and he lost. Uh, he appealed his loss, and he lost an appeal as well. Correct. Uh, and as we were talking before, I had never seen any discovery. I just wondered uh, if you guys had gotten his tax returns and his... So what did you see about Donald Trump? Can you say now are we all Uh, going to get sued? Well, I mean, I
0: think one of the reasons Donald Trump doesn't want his tax returns um, released and he's fought hard against it. And as you know, he's broken a tradition that every president going back to um, Gerald Ford has embraced. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's four categories of things he's worried about in those tax returns. Uh, they would. I think two of them don't matter much to voters, uh, how authentically philanthropic he is. We know this is a guy who's looted his own charity, so I'll <laughs> leave it at that. He and his children have been barred from serving on any charity in New York right. State. Um, how robust his business actually is. He has always lied uh, exponentially about how much money he has even now. He says now that he's worth $10 billion. He's not remotely close to that. Um, I think the two pieces that matter right now with, with Donald Trump in the White House is his tax returns would show his sources of foreign income mm-hmm. and his disclosure around those sources of foreign income. Uh-huh. And, and they raise the question of whether or not the President of the United States is in the pocket or under the influence of foreign entities, foreign governments or foreign enterprises. And whether or not his policy making isn't encumbered and polluted. that fact When, when
1: you saw his returns what years did they cover do you recall
0: uh yeah it would have been uh you know like 1999 to 2005. okay
1: so it was after the casino debacle going bankrupt but here's the
0: important thing to remember is between 2003 and 2005 several hundred million dollars came into the trump organization that the trumps have said uh they didn't get through bank loans And there's an issue about whether or not their business was generating enough money to throw off that kind of figure. Uh And that's when Trump bought two golf courses in Scotland Uh and went on something of a shopping spree. That'll probably remain unknown for the ages because Bob Mueller chose not to dig in. Uh And the Congress hasn't asked for the right years uh, in their... Uh, tax return requests. They've asked for the last six years. It would only take you to 2013. Were
1: any of the loans at Deutsche Bank? Loan,
0: were any of that, were, were they in there? Well, Deutsche Bank has been his single biggest uh, bank lender uh-huh. okay. uh, for quite some time. But this is money that didn't come from a bank.
1: What do you see then, You know, given all these uh, peculiarities about Trump and uh issues that are provably, demonstrably lies, I mean, he he just, how how does he maintain this base? I mean, why are people so adamantly supportive of him?
0: Well, look, I think Donald Trump came in into his candidacy at a unique moment. I think there were a lot of average Americans whose lives had been disrupted by the 2008 financial crisis. They lost homes, pensions, their children's college fund, uh, and large institutions abandoned them, whether it was both political parties, big business, the media. There wasn't a lot of attention paid to how um, upended people's lives were, so I think that was one factor. And Trump came in and said, "I will fix this. I will revivify the manufacturing sector and coal and farming," none of which he's done, because he, you know, he 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 lies routinely and pathologically. Um, I think the other factor is we had a, a president of color, an amazing, honorable sophisticated president of color in the person of Barack Obama, and Donald Trump racialized that explicitly in the way he campaigned. Brown people are coming over the border from Mexico, there's yellow peril coming from China, and and, and this president of color has been trying to tap Trump Tower. And I think he exploited uh, a population of people who need better answers than he gave them, but were willing to believe what he said. And we are going to test that in this campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we'll move the Trump base in this campaign, but we will serve them if we have the privilege of being in the White House in a much more honest and honorable way than Donald Trump ever had. We will be in rural farming communities in Wisconsin where bankruptcy rates are skyrocketing and suicide rates are skyrocketing and the opioid epidemic has taken root. We will go there and deliver to them what Donald Trump didn't. We will go into inner city communities of color that uh, have been bereft of infrastructure, education, health care, and housing for far too long, and actually deliver the goods to those voters, even if they don't support us in this election, because that's what good government's about. And Back uh, in
1: California, just real quickly, uh, yeah.
0: um, California has a history of being hostile,
1: maybe not hostile, but being suspicious of billionaires, very wealthy people when they run for office. And I'm thinking mainly of Norton Simon many years ago, um, Al Checky, I remember in uh, 1998. Meg Whitman, uh, Meg Whitman is the most recent example and the best example probably. Uh, Jane Harmon, yep. uh, who actually had a track but record. Jane,
0: Jane Harmon served honorably, um,
1: and she had a tra- she had a political track record. Whereas Checky did, Norton Simon didn't. Um, n- neither did Meg Whitman. So, why is Bloomberg different here?
0: Well, I don't think it's new for uh, someone with resources to want to serve publicly. George Washington did, Franklin Roosevelt did, and John Kennedy did. I also don't think there's anything wrong with being financially successful. Thomas Edison was, Steve Jobs was, and Oprah Winfrey is. Mike, when he ran for uh, the mayor of New York, self-funded that campaign. After he got elected, he instituted public financing of campaigns in New York City. If you run for mayor now in New York, you get $6 in matching funds for every $1 you put up. Elizabeth Warren has proposed that as a federal, uh, mm-hmm. a, a way to federally, publicly support elections. Would this basically
1: gut Citizens and, United?
0: Would it? Well, I'm just saying that what he did, what Mike did as the mayor of New York is something everyone else is proposing he's actually
1: done yeah
0: okay and i think at the federal level you know in terms of money and politics you've got to take on citizens united and you've got to reform the fec Reforming the fec is relatively easy citizens united requires a very purposeful legal campaign uh, at a time when trump has stuffed the courts with unqualified maga paralegals Um, and we're gonna we are going to do that Uh, uh, I think that everything Mike Bloomberg has campaigned on and done throughout his life are not rich guy issues. They're issues that are bread and butter um, uh, s- solutions for a- things that average Americans care about. Again, health care, education, housing, climate crisis, gun violence, immigration reform. Uh, I think he sees this election as the culmination of his life's work. And that's why he's in this race. He recognizes that Donald Trump is an existential threat. And that, and had Mike Bloomberg not entered this race right now, the Democrats would be very far back on their heels, financially and organizationally. The DNC has about $8 million in its coffers right now. Trump and the RNC have about $180 million, and we expect about another $900 million in dark money to come in on the Republican side. Uh, Mike Bloomberg is a public citizen who's opening his wallet at a very dangerous time, to support the party, just like he did in 2018. He was the single biggest backer of uh, women who flipped vulnerable Republican mm-hmm. districts and helped turn the House blue.
1: Has, the House, has he
0: got a top dollar where he maxes out? Had the House not turned blue, Donald Trump would not have been impeached. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when people talk about the effects of Mike Bloomberg's money in politics, what I say is his money's making the world a better place. He's an ethical and honorable man, and people are finding that out about him, and that's why he's taking off.
1: Is he uh, early on? I heard him say or heard, saw a quote. That he would he would he would spend a billion dollars if it took that to defeat Trump.
0: He will spend whatever it takes to defeat Donald okay. Trump. Okay, so a
1: billion dollars is at the threshold. He goes up to a billion. Boom. We're going to
0: outspend it. Donald Trump in every single market. Okay. He's campaigning in, and, and we're going to outspend him five to one. Okay.
1: Okay, Timothy O'Brien. Thank you thank very you, much, John. Thanks Appreciate for your time.
0: It. Great to be here.
1: You didn't hear Hillary McLean, but thank you too, Hillary. Okay. And this is John <laughs> Howard. Thank you very much for listening in, and we'll catch you next time around.